This is Maureen Farrell and Heather O'Neill, and this is the Milk Minute. We're midwives and lactation professionals, bringing you the most up-to-date evidence for all things lactation, so you can feel more confident about feeding your baby, body positivity, relationships, and mental health. Plus, we laugh a little or a lot along the way. So join us for another episode. Welcome to another episode of the Milk Minute. Today we're going to be talking about spoiling your baby. Or not spoiling your baby. Either way, (laughs) this topic is very sensitive because there's a lot of people out there that actually use this for some serious shaming. Oh yeah, telling you you're going to spoil your baby, just automatic shame right there. And it makes you feel like you're doing everything wrong, and it also forces you to go against your biological impulses. It just, like, it makes you question every choice you've made. (laughs) This is especially important for first-time parents. Yeah, so I'm going to say before we really, like, dig into the meat of that, let's start with a question. And I'm going to remind you guys to stick around after we're done so you can hear if you got an award this week. Yeah, we always like to give one of our listeners an award in the alcove because we love you and we want to support you. Let's take a quick break to thank our sponsor, Liquid IV. Liquid IV makes your water work harder for you. It's a great option for parents that are trying to stay hydrated during lactation without having a ton of sugar in a sports drink. Their natural powdered drink mixes actually taste good, too. And contain five essential vitamins. So what do you really have to lose? Right. I mean, my favorite's the ginger, and uh, your mom told me she loves the sleep blend. Mm Mm-hmm. And I personally like the lemon-lime. So with our code MILKMINUTE, you can get 25% off your order of Liquid IV, plus free shipping and a free gift. Oh, yeah. I got a free water bottle. I got a color-changing cup. So give it a try. Liquid IV, go get some. Okay, so this week our question comes from Bethany, and she says, I know you can't spoil a baby or create bad habits this soon, but at what point does your baby get so used to being held, in parentheses, breastfeeding related, and doesn't want to be set down? So I guess, Bethany, if I understand correctly, you're saying like, when when do the habits around breastfeeding become bad habits? Right. So I think it's important for all of us to understand that babies only know what you've shown them. They are experiencing the world through what you are exposing them to. And breastfeeding is a great place to initially make them feel safe enough to feel comfortable exploring. Mm -hmm. And, And making your kid or baby feel safe is never a bad thing. Like, I I ask my therapist about this often when I'm like, is this too indulgent? Is this this? You know, and she's like, look, making your child feel safe is only going to create good lifelong habits. Right. I mean, think about all of the times that you felt unsafe and how much growth came out of that that was positive. Yeah. Usually you just develop a fun trauma response. (laughs) Right. Right. So, you know, we're not saying that you're going to traumatize your baby if you choose to put them down. What we're saying is that these quote unquote bad habits that people are telling you that you're doing are actually really important primal habits Mm -hmm. that your baby needs in order to move to the next stage of development. Right. But let me just kind of specifically address you, Bethany, about this question, because There's no one answer, but there is kind of um, a a concept to consider is that the answer for this is going to be different for every single 
family because all of our lifestyles are different. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to say you have to think at what point is the, you know, the schedule, the routine, the behaviors that we have with this baby, at what point does that make my life difficult? And also just to tack on to that, you know, at what point does your baby get so used to being held that they don't want to be set down? So that is very different because that's a primal need compared to a behavioral problem. Yeah. So like around nine months is when their brains are developed enough that they can actually start to push your buttons on purpose Mm -hmm. um, a little bit more. Yeah. And, and really though, like, this doesn't really happen. Like babies want to be held all the time, as we said, for a good reason, but we'll get into it. But then they all developmentally get to a point where they want to explore. Right. And usually that starts to happen around four months, six months, and it just gradually increases. And it's never going to be a bad thing that your baby wants comfort from you because that tells you you're creating a safe space for your baby. Right. But, you know, like... If you say you're a really active family and you want your kid to hike next to you instead of being baby-worn or vice versa, like, that's a choice you make. And you can work to create safety around those new habits. Right. And I will also say that the safer they feel, the earlier they're going to feel comfortable exploring. Yeah. So you'll just have to kind of play it by ear, Bethany, and everybody else out there. Do not think that your newborn who wants to be held all the time is going to be a five-year-old who cannot be put down. That's Actually, never I would happen. I would say that it probably works in reverse. Like <laughs> yeah. the more the more you hold your baby, the more comfortable they're going to feel exploring. Yeah, and the more you try to train your baby to be independent, the more they're going to want you to hold them. Yeah, possibly. So play with that. Think about that, and let's go ahead and get into the details here. Okay. Yeah. So first, I just want to let you know what shaming might look like, because sometimes this shit happens and you don't realize it happened until later when you're like, why do I feel so terrible and icky inside? And why am I now having these negative feelings about picking up my baby when it used to make me happy to pick up my baby? Mm -hmm. So if you hear people around you saying things like he's crying because you pick him up too much or be careful or he's going to use you as a pacifier or let her learn how to be independent so you can get your life back sooner. So I want you to take a minute, stop, and then think about the person that said this to you. Were they the kind of parent that you want to be? Mm-hmm. So often this <laughs> that, is... That is a great place to start, Heather. Yeah. I mean, oh, think dear. about the fact that a lot of times this is going to be like a maternal figure in your life, mm-hmm. whether that's your mother or grandmother. And... A lot of times when those people are putting this kind of negative feeling on you, that's not supportive. Right. They're the same kind of people that maybe were unable to give that to you when you were a child. And And, did that serve you? And the way that that would be a supportive action is not for them to say, if you only did this, your life would be better. It's your fault. Like, that's not supportive. The way it would be supportive is if they notice you struggling and they say, hey... Do you need help with that? Would it be helpful if I did something to help you? Yeah. that That's a supportive comment, right? If they're like, hey, would it be helpful if I took your baby for a little while? You know, maybe do you want to work on getting your baby comfortable away from you? Right. 
And, you know, this is going to, I see a lot of the most detrimental comments happening right after baby is born. I know, in the newborn stage. At the hospital. You know, can we just, this episode, you know, we're talking about can you spoil your baby. I just, can I take us to a definition? Is that oh, going to be helpful? yes. What yeah. is the definition of spoiled? Okay. So, um, here's the Oxford Dictionary definition. So, spoiled is an adjective. <laughs> and when we're talking about a person, especially a child, spoiled would be when they are harmed in character by being treated too leniently or indulgently. And Wikipedia tells us that a spoiled child or spoiled brat is a derogatory term aimed at children who exhibit behavioral problems from being overindulged by their parents or other caregivers. So let me just say, baby was not in any of those. Yeah, and also, baby doesn't have behavior problems because that would indicate they had some kind of control over their conscious thoughts as if they are doing this <laughs> right. to you. And these these definitions imply that the child has the ability to be manipulative as well. They don't. Right. Older children do. Babies do not. Babies are primal. When they are first born, their brains neurologically are only wired for a few things. Hunger being the first, safety being the second, and like I said, they have to feel safe in order to achieve the next developmental milestone, and then uncomfortable, so pain. Um, so those three things, and surprisingly, not surprisingly, breastfeeding fixes all three of those oh things. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. So that's why baby wants to suck all the time, because mm -hmm. if they're in pain, they can suck for comfort. It releases oxytocin right. in their body as well, which is the bonding hormone, and it calms them down. And and, and, and they want to be held all the time for the same reason. You know, imagine not very long ago in human history, gosh, what, 5,000 years ago? Hmm. You know, we were in real physical danger very often, and a baby who got put down was a baby who was likely to die. Right. And so <laughs> when they are strictly primal, that old primal being is still in there. They need to smell you at all times. They want to truly know that they are going to live. And if they can feel like they're going to live, that's when their brains allow their neurological connections to start doing other stuff. Yeah. They don't have to worry about it as much, so their brain prioritizes learning something else and moving mm -hmm. beyond those primal instincts. Yep. And, you know... As well, being held and being fed often allows their body temperature to stabilize, their heart rate to stabilize, their digestion to properly begin, mm -hmm. right? Like, these are literally needs, okay? And we're going to talk about this a lot, but there's a big difference between a want and a need, and babies literally don't have wants. Nope, they don't have wants. They have needs. And you are the person that can give that to them yeah, very yes. easily. And yes, it can interrupt your life. If you baby wear, that can actually make that a lot easier. But, you know, you have to understand that the way we live our lives these days might not necessarily match up to their primal needs. And especially when your grandmothers were in childbearing mm -hmm. years, there was a huge push for women in particular to be more independent. Um, there was a lot more 
baby apparatuses yeah. to put your baby in around the house. The and baby swing, the baby bouncer. You know, the baby, you know. like a lot of that was about class, too. Like yes. we, we were beginning to see these really big class divides, and it was seen as something that people of more money and more wealth could separate themselves from their babies, and poor people couldn't. Right. Well, poor people had dirt floors. And do you put a newborn on a dirt floor? Right. No, you wear them. And, like, unfortunately, you know, if you lived in a situation with rats in your house, you were not going to put your baby down in a bassinet, you know? Exactly. And so there were just these huge cultural changes, especially around the Victorian era that happened, to really push people to separate from their babies. Yeah. I mean, that's when prams or strollers were invented. Right. Um, And there's nothing wrong with using a stroller. We're just trying to paint the picture for you here of when this started to change. And it really wasn't that long Mm -hmm. ago. So what we're saying is baby does not have wants. They have needs. But also you have needs but also have wants. So like you might want to go take a shower by yourself, but what your body actually needs in order for your stress hormones to calm down and your temperature to stabilize and your body to be making the milk that your baby needs, you actually need to hold that baby. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, If you are bleeding postpartum, for example, holding your baby helps your bleeding. It helps your uterus contract through hormone response. So you actually need to hold your baby too, even though you want to go do something else. Yeah. You know, I've had a couple of birth experiences where we're managing like a, a, not a hemorrhage yet, but heavy bleeding in the immediate postpartum and say dad holds the baby and is close to, you know, their partner, their birthing partner. But You know, and I say, like, would you actually put that baby on um, her chest, please? And they're kind of like, why? Isn't it in the way? I'm like, no, it actually will help her stop bleeding right now. Mm -hmm. You know, (laughs) even though, yeah, as a provider, it's more convenient for me not to have to worry about a newborn on this body that I'm trying to control bleeding in. But the newborn is one of those mechanisms that's going to control the bleeding. It's pretty wild whenever you put a baby belly to belly with a postpartum mom, you'll see their little legs start to kick down exactly where the (laughs) uterus is. And you, I think maybe it was you or Joe who said, if you see those feet doing that, they're massaging the fundus of the uterus for you. And it's just like you get a surge of oxytocin when you touch your baby. And oxytocin clamps down the muscle Mm -hmm. of your uterus, which clamps off those capillaries, which are bleeding. Super cool. So, I mean, it goes well beyond the first postpartum moments also. So like you continue to get benefits from holding your baby and especially with breastfeeding, Mm -hmm. touch does help milk supply. Yeah. And this is something we see so often with exclusive pumpers or people who have to pump while their baby's in the NICU. It is so much harder for them to build up that milk supply because they're just spending more time not holding their babies, even if their babies are there because they're pumping. Yep. And that's why kangaroo care in recent years has been so popular. Right. Where it's like, is this a situation where the nurse or the physician can actually do what they need to do with the baby while they're on your chest? hmm Okay. So let's talk about those first few weeks of life. So... Now we know that it's a primal time for baby and it's a primal time for yep. your body. Let's, you, let's just remind you, this is like the fourth trimester. You are technically still one person. Yep. You are sharing 
there can't be one without the other at this mm-hmm. point. Like you literally need each other in order to make it to the next step. So this is not a time to train your baby in any way. It won't work. No. They don't have the hormonal capabilities to regulate sleep. This is you do not sleep train until at the very minimum six weeks. Minimum. Even then I'm like, oh, that makes me cringe. Yeah, you need to let it go. I mean, let it go. If you are type A, you just need to go ahead and tell yourself this first six weeks, all bets are off. Yeah. You don't have time. There's no clocks. We are just listening to you our have, bodies you and have baby one bodies. goal, the mutual survival goal. <laughs> mutual survival goal. And I like it. Yeah. So we are not training your baby. We are going to put baby to your breast and they are going to train your body to meet their needs. And that's yep. it. That's and that's the only what training. should happen. That is, you know, kind of our ideal world. And don't think about that as manipulation. Your newborn cannot manipulate you. Yes, they cannot manipulate you. Now, that doesn't mean that your baby doesn't have a personality. No. So there's a difference here. I mean, honestly, they don't have much personality then to be, I'm just saying, like they're all kind of little blobs of primal need. But like, yeah, it develops. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) they definitely, so for example... And I will use my son as an example. Go for it. So he was a 36-weeker, jaundice, low blood sugar. Um, oh, the whole cascade of shit. Right. And <laughs> so, listen, he had to be in the billy bed. Mm-hmm. We didn't do as much skin-to-skin as we should have done. I was a first-time mom. And also I had people telling me that I needed to be careful not to spoil him because he was one of those babies because he cried all the time. Be careful. He's one of those babies that you need to train. Otherwise, you're not going to have a life. And I listened. So I had all the baby apparatuses. And let me tell you what. He cried all the time. Yeah, you're like, and actually it didn't change. (laughs) Because all he really needed was me. And these late preterm babies need more reassurance because they have higher stress hormones, because primarily they know that right. they have a higher risk of dying because they need more right. food frequently. I mean, they just decompensate very quickly. They do. They don't have enough brown fat on their bodies. They just, they know in their primal brains that they cannot survive right. long without their parent. And, you know, on the other hand, like my son was born... After his due date, you know, theoretically, those are t- tend to be easier babies to settle, but he was not, right? He had these, like, tongue and lip ties that we didn't realize for a long time. He also would have cried all the time, but I literally just held him and fed him constantly for, like, three months. Mm-hmm. And while that sucked, it also meant, too, like, we took him somewhere and people were like, oh, what a good baby, you know? <laughs> like, what are, what ridiculous messaging we're getting. They're like, you're baby just never cries and I'm like yeah because my tit is in his mouth literally all the time how could he cry (laughs) I mean and on the flip side I'm struggling with postpartum anxiety and depression and I'm constantly trying different things to put my child Mm -hmm. in to see if it'll calm him down I had a like thousand square foot apartment and I probably had five different apparatuses to sit him in and I remember folding laundry with him in the swing just screaming at the top of his lungs and I was actually denying my primal Mm -hmm. need to pick him up because I thought it was my job to keep folding the fucking clothes right you know what I'm I'm really glad I 
didn't quite put myself through that. I mean, I had some of the swings and the bouncers and shit, but I did really quickly realize they, like, didn't work. I think I'm a slow learner, and I was also (laughs) exhausted, and I also didn't have a partner that really understood what was going on at all, and I just felt really isolated and, and lost, and my only, you know, way of learning for some reason was just the other maternal influences in my life and how they learned was from a very Victorian grandmother of mine. Yeah, totally. And and I always remind myself to when older people give you shitty <laughs> parenting advice that's full of shame, like that that is how they were taught. You know, a lot of them went to their doctor and their doctor was like, Oh, you want to breastfeed? No. You need to be formula feeding now. We have developed formulas that are just superior to your shitty breast milk. So you can gain your life back. Yeah. And, like, you need to get your figure back for your husband. Like, BS. The husband stitch (laughs) and a tighter vagina. Right. So it's, like, it's it's not like your mother-in-law or whatever just randomly thought up some way to shame you. It's, like, oh, great. That's how she was shamed when she was a new parent and every single piece of marketing and messaging she ever saw reinforced that. So now, what else does she have to say to you? Yeah, you know? that's the best advice that they possibly have for you. Mm-hmm. So whenever I start to feel like something is uncomfortable for me, that is a really good indicator that I need to explore what my body is telling me. Yeah. I mean, you might not know all of the little nitty-gritty things that Maureen and I know as lactation professionals, but you know when something feels off. And so if some advice feels wrong or you feel an overwhelming urge to pick up your child, pick them up. Mm -hmm. If you feel an overwhelming urge to lay down with your baby, take a bath with your baby, and you will. I mean, some of these urges are just so biologically Mm -hmm. primal that you feel them in your gut. Don't fight it. Just do it. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say too, you know, a lot of people have kind of trained themselves to dissociate from bodily urges. So when we say these kind of things, they may not apply to you and that's okay. So, you know, in that case, like your baby hasn't had that training yet (laughs) and they haven't lived a life where, you know, they've figured that out. So pay attention to them. You know, if they're upset being put down and they're two weeks old, pick them up. It's okay. And it doesn't have to be you all the time. You know, yeah, you have the breast milk, but your partner is a great option. And actually, the more you encourage your baby and partner to baby wear together, the more your baby is going to also include that in the list of things that make them feel safe. Mm-hmm. And it's going to give you a little bit of space. And I mean, honestly, one of my best friends, Lindsay, shout out to Lindsay Schnell, she would come over all the time and baby wear my baby Ooh, that's so nice. I could work. And so then I'd breastfeed and she'd just come and hang out and right. baby wear and just like hang out and just eat lunch and hang out with me. And my baby learned to absolutely trust her 1000%. And now to this day, when she walks in the house, my daughter runs up to her, gives her a big kiss and a hug. That's nice. She says, I love you. (laughs) And you know, like there's a light at the end of the tunnel, guys. You can, when your baby is, you know, getting to that year mark, you can make some boundaries. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I really feel like Everybody gets to a point where they look at their baby and they're like, whoa, you're a real human. Mm -hmm. You know what you want. You know, when you get to that point, it's okay then to start thinking, oh, like, maybe I am kind of 
overindulging here. You know, like that's when you can make those changes if you want to. And it's not too late to make them when you realize that, you know, your 10-month-old is not going to be spoiled for life. Right. And and also, it's okay if you don't do that then either. I'm going to be totally real, you know, like, I feel like I realized very late in the game. <laughs> like, my kid was, like, two before I was like, wow, maybe I don't have to do, like, everything you want me to. Right. And, and yeah, like... He is five now. Obviously, he's not behaviorally perfect because what five-year-old is. But he's also very independent now, you know? He's like, I want to go outside. And I'm like, cool, get dressed. He goes up, picks out his own clothes, comes down, and, you know, tries to get his shoes on. (laughs) Whether or not he can depends on what shoes he's chosen, you know? Or he's like, I'm going to go upstairs and play with my trains. I'm like, oh, do you want, you don't want me to come? (laughs) See, I think my <laughs> my thing was I didn't understand that my son did not have the ability to have abstract thought. <laughs> you know what? My husband, who's a philosophy major, oh. was so into, like, that part of our child's development. <laughs> like, I remember at some point he was like, this is it. Like, this is the end of his, like, primal innocence. Like, he has abstract thought now. <laughs> So that doesn't happen until minimum nine months, right? I, yeah, I remember it was or maybe some, later. It, I think it was honestly like around the time he started being verbal, because then you can actually see it demonstrated. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Because then, like, literally, just language is abstract thought. Mm-hmm. You know, so. When he started expressing language, I think, I don't know, my husband's probably going to listen well, and be like, you are incorrect. I, do, I mean, we're not, you know, we're lactation no, professionals. We are not childhood behavioralists or whatever. But I do know that at two, they are not afraid of the dark until the age of two mm-hmm. because they cannot have that abstract thought that something that they saw might be coming to get right. them in the dark. You know, a really helpful book that I liked to kind of help me understand the science behind brain development was called The Toddler Brain, and it is, the kind of subtitle is The Surprising Science Behind Your Child's Development from Birth to Age 5. And it's written by Laura Jana. She's a doctor. I watched a presentation by her at the perinatal conference a couple years ago, and I loved this book. It was very reaffirming of a lot of the things that we're talking about, where um, creating safety is more important than discipline. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And then it also kind of helps you understand, like, when is discipline important in context with when your baby and your small child is then, like, pruning neural pathways, you know? Like, things like that matter because trying it before then, like, isn't going to be effective. After then is not as effective. You know what I mean? Like, there's these windows of time when all your baby is doing is exploring new behaviors, and then there's a point where their brain starts to say, all right, all right, all right. We have like billions of neural pathways. We do not need this many. We're going to start pruning them. Like that's the time you actually want to make boundaries and behavioral changes because then the brain is going to be like, oh, that behavior has not been enforced in the way that we find positive. So we will prune that pathway and never do it again. Yep. And I think that people that have like a whole mess of kids, 
You know, yeah. people that have like six plus children, they just don't worry about stuff like this. It all works out, guys. It all works out. They just they their have, kids are just as fine as the only child who got all the attention all the true. time. I mean, they literally don't have time to read the books and like plan right. out a behavior chart and stuff. So well, they probably just, they did with their first. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, of you know, course. everybody does this. Like a lot of first time moms are going to be the ones still listening at this point in the episode. Yeah. You know, everybody who's got like three or four kids is like, whatever. I don't even have time. I can't sleep. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. So for those of you out there that are wondering, like people that have no time because they just have so many kids, they have no other option other than to just trust their gut. Yeah. And their gut is linked to their primal body and the baby's primal body. And it tends to work out. Like if you really mm-hmm. listen and pay attention to what's going on physically, emotionally, spiritually, everybody meets their milestones. Yeah. Yeah. And that is probably the best <laughs> parenting lesson I've ever gotten from anybody is to just worry less, mm-hmm. you know, and especially with making the choice to homeschool my son. Obviously, I've had a lot of insecurities about that, you know, and reached out to a lot of thankfully, I knew a lot of like teenagers who were homeschooled that I taught in the outdoor school that I work at sometimes. And so I'd like reach out to their parents and be like, what What happened when they were five, you know, <laughs> or whatever. And they'd be like, we did nothing when they were five. They played. They went outside and played. Yep. <laughs> and if they wanted to learn the ABCs, we learned them. You know, it's like that. that's okay. Your baby does not need very structured, absolutely disciplined, like developmentally, you know, perfect stimulation or whatever. Like they're going to be fine. They just want you. Keep them alive, love them and create a secure environment. They just want you. They want your attention because they love you. Yeah. Unconditionally because you are their entire world. Yeah. And they're all going to have some behavioral problem at some point anyway. Yeah. You know, deal with it then. It's okay. If you can prevent it, great. You'll never know if you prevented it or if it just didn't happen. (laughs) Yeah. Name one human out there that's perfect. Yeah. And I always think like, okay, maybe at least I can make different mistakes from my parents made, right? Like maybe at least I can learn from that or these mistakes that friends of mine who are older and have their children are grown. Like maybe I can learn from those mistakes and I'll just, I'll just make new ones. Yeah. And the thing is like... (laughs) Somebody told me this once, and I mean, I'm not like super woo-woo, but I do enjoy dabbling from time to time in the thought that maybe there is a plan. I don't know. And somebody told me once that your child picked you. Like, I like the idea of that. Mm -hmm. Like, they're floating around out there, and they're like, that one is the one that I need in order to achieve as a soul what I need to do in my life. Right. And I and I really enjoyed that thought, you know, whether or not I believe it is another thing, but the thought that I am perfect for my child because of my imperfections mm-hmm. makes me feel good. You know, those philosophies, the way I see them, because I don't really believe in a lot of that particularly, but but the way I see it is if that is comforting to you, and it's also helpful in some way, then you should stick with it. Yeah. You know, like, believing that is not going to damage you or your child. It's probably just going to make you feel better on really bad days. Yep, and it works. <laughs> That's what works for me. Yeah. So if it, if it works for you to just have that visualization when you're looking at your child who's, like, being an absolute monster that day, <laughs> you can just say, that kid picked me. Yeah. Because I have a constitution that's able to get them through whatever this is right now. Uh, yep, you can only hope so, right? <laughs> right, right. So good luck, everybody, and yeah. don't listen to dicks. 
Yeah, I mean, if somebody says you're spoiling your baby and you're sitting there breastfeeding your eight-week-old baby, you can tell them to fuck right off. Yep. Step one, look <laughs> at that person and see if that's the kind of parent that you want to be. Mm-hmm. Step two, mentally create a boundary between that bad advice and what you actually have going on. Step three, check in with your gut. What does your gut tell you about what you need to be doing right now? And then I'm pretty sure the answer is going to be keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. So good luck, everybody. Um, Before we go, though, we got to give our award in the alcove. Oh, yeah. Let's take a minute to thank our sponsor, Happy Tummy. I am so glad that Happy Tummy has made this safe, natural alternative to gas drops and drugs that are just going to alter your baby's system. Happy Tummy is a sweet little wrap that goes right around your baby's body, and it provides a safe alternative to infant colic and just general fussiness as their guts are maturing. It smells wonderful, it applies a little bit of gentle pressure on your baby's tummy, and also you can use it yourself. You got cramps? Throw Happy Tummy on your own belly. They make all kinds of products. So please go check out Happy Tummy and use the code BREASTFRIENDS10 to get 10% off your order. I couldn't recommend this enough. I do not recommend gas drops. And as a lactation consultant and a previous NICU nurse, I can honestly tell you this would have been a godsend for just those babies that are experiencing just those normal symptoms of growing, but they can be a little bit uncomfortable. Happy Tummy has the solution for you. So make sure you use the coupon code BREASTFRIENDS10 because our listeners get 10% off. Okay, this week's Milk Minute Award in the Alcove goes to Carolyn for six months exclusively breastfeeding. Good job, Carolyn. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, that's like, that's the goal. You know, that's that's pretty much a universal breastfeeding goal there, and it's awesome. And, you know, I, I just... I'm really proud when people get there. Yeah. I mean, I think that a lot of times mentally people are like, I just want to make it six months. And then when they get to six months and it's awesome, yeah, they're like, wow, mm-hmm. you know what? A year and beyond. Let's <laughs> do it. And then they just move that goal up the timeline. Yeah. So great job, Carolyn. We're here with you, clapping for you. And we're, the award we're going to give you is... The award you get this week is the six-month smile. Oh, a six-month smile award. Oh, (laughs) that does make me smile. All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much. Don't forget to share your breastfeeding wins with us or your questions at milkminutepodcast at gmail.com. Yep, and uh, we'll see you next week. Yep. Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to The Milk Minute. If you haven't already, please like, subscribe, and review our podcast wherever you listen. If you'd like to support our podcast, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash milkminutepodcast. To send us feedback, personal stories, or just to chat, you can send us an email at milkminutepodcast at gmail.com. It's a minute!